What is up, my friends? Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, and I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend, Dan Takini. And I'm still buzzing from this conversation. We talk about how to measure success as a father, how to show up when there's a death in the family, and then how AI can help you with your parenting. Now, my friends, you'll see in the first five to 10 minutes that we get into it and we get into it deep. This is one I will go back and listen to and take more notes. I had to journal just to get it all out after listening to this. Moments like this, it's an opportunity for you to hear a sage speak into your life. Enjoy meeting my friend, Dan. My friends, welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes. I'm already smiling ear to ear. I've been thinking about this all morning. Very excited to talk with Dan Takini. Dan, how are you today? Oh, I'm excellent. Now I'm here with you. I thank you for having me. Oh, my goodness. Our mutual friend, Vincent Porras, had connected us maybe a month or two ago, and we jumped on the phone just to chat, and it was just a beautiful conversation. And since then, I've been excited to have you on the show. And then, like I said, right before we we did the recording, you know, I sent out this Google form with some questions. And as I read your answers, not one of them was a single sentence answer. It all felt like a chapter out of a book written by a sage. So as I'm preparing for our conversation today, I was just blown away from that conversation content. So thank you. Thank you for putting the effort in. Oh, they were great questions. I've actually never had a podcaster, you know, like there are required questions and you ask some really thought provoking questions that really I enjoyed thinking about and formulating answers that would be authentic and true for me. So thank you. Mm. I love it. Authentic and true for me. It's so interesting because I feel like in the last couple of years, I've been doing so much work on myself. I'm becoming more aware that before I speak or take action, is what I'm about to do or say authentic and true. I don't know, maybe you could speak to this because in that transition of sometimes I think you just say things or do things, sometimes I question myself, like, is this really authentic and true for Ned? So do you think there's kind of a transition when you're becoming more authentic and true that that you like almost wrestle with whether you are being authentic and true? Ah, that's a great question. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard answers it this way. He said, the most authentic a human being can be is to be authentic about their inauthenticity. Because if you Mm. think about it, it's all of our big quest, I think. It is that who am I? And I can be so many things. I can be spiritual and grounded in my life. Or at any moment, I could come across and experience anxiety and fear and be scattered or worried about what you think about me or worried about what others think about me. And which one's the true Dan? I would suggest Mm. that it all is. And that my ability to embrace those moments of inauthenticity and allow them to speak to me is the authentic way of being human. Because we're we're always wrestling with scrambling around trying to just 
express who we are and what's most important to us. So easy to get caught up in an ideal and try to live up to an ideal rather than to explore and connect with what's really going on with me in a moment without rejecting myself as bad, wrong, or broken. Hmm. Yeah, so beautiful. And I want to share something with you. You and I connected, and we'll probably get into it, but you have events and you develop events to help people to do these things. And I'm 40 years old, and I went to an event that you had a role in developing how it was laid out. And just the other night, my 14-year-old daughter came home, and she's sitting in front of the Christmas tree. My wife and I are on the couch, and we're all watching a movie, but she came home from youth group. I realized after about 10 minutes, the movie had been turned off. All the other kids left the room because the conversation that my 14-year-old daughter and my wife and I got into was so deep that everyone just like slowly left the room and the movie was shut off. But what was cool is this, is she was wrestling with some things about like being her authentic self. And we're talking about it. And what I want to encourage dads to hear is I'm doing work on myself. My wife is doing work on herself. I was able to go get my journal because she's asking like, what is identity? Like, what does that even mean? So I was able to go get my journal from the event and open it up and read to her, hey, I'm 40 and I'm wrestling with this right now. So the way you feel is okay. And so what you said a moment ago is even the inauthentic, like when I can acknowledge the inauthentic part, that is also authentic. Yeah, right on. I think uh, as a father, it's important that my daughter, my son, my wife, they watch me wrestle with my own demons and deal with what triggers them and how do they use me and what happens if I own them. One of the things I used to Mm. talk to my lot about is who are you putting in charge of your life today? That's a big deal. It's like so easy to put the impulsive or compulsive or obsessive self in charge. And then I can consciously Mm. take a hold of that. doesn't have to get rid of it. I can own it, feel it, have it, and then let it inform me in being a more open, available presence. You know, like, like, how do I get present with you? How do I get present with my kids? How do I get present in a situation that's threatening or devastating? What does it take to do that? So what does it take? Well, <laughs> you, got a, you got a few hours. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Number one, I think it takes courage and humility. Courage enough to face what I fear and humility enough to own the relationship I have with what I fear. You know, like to learn about who I am in the moments of fear and devastation and who I can become when I'm aware of that. I was telling you, there's a quote that I've used for years. I got it from C.S. Lewis, and it really touched me, particularly in asking the question. I came through a pretty tough childhood, tough for me. We all have our own journeys and our own challenges, but my mother was a schizophrenic, manic depressive, and I noticed that each of the kids handled it differently and came out of it differently. And we all went through the same events together. You know, almost all of us, the four of us, went through the same events with my mother. And there was a quote by C.S. Lewis that really was quite, at first, intriguing and even offensive at first to me. And then it really opened up for me as I started reading. It's from The Great Divorce. I don't know if you've ever read that. Yeah, yeah, I have. My parents got divorced officially when I was 18, but it really started Mm -hmm. when I was 12, when my mother first had her first episode. And this quote, by Lewis in that book, it goes like this. It goes, I've got it here, I'll read it. Son, he said, you cannot in your present state understand eternity. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for this. 
not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even the agony into a glory. And of some sinful pleasure, they say, let me have a bit of this, and I'll take the consequences. Little dreaming how damnation will spread back and back into the past and contaminate the pleasure of the sin. Both processes begin even before death. The good man's past begins to change so that his forgiven sins and remembered sorrows take on the quality of heaven. And the bad man's past already conforms to his badness and is filled only with dreariness and despair. And that is why the blessed will say, we have never lived anywhere except in heaven. And the lost, we were always in hell. And both will speak truly. Wow. Yeah. And I've thought a lot about that because I've been both men. And when you say you've been both men, as a man listens to this, do you think that's part of the authentic, you said humility and courage, is that I know that as a man, I have the power to be either of those men? Yes. And when I find myself operating as the one I don't want to be, to pause in my tracks and remind myself, this isn't who you are, or this isn't who you have to be. Yeah, I don't have to believe these thoughts. I don't indulge them. I don't have to give them power. I'm a dangerous guy. And when I want to hurt somebody emotionally, psychologically, physically, it's because I'm afraid. It's because I'm hurt. So these thoughts then become, instead of an enemy, they become an ally. And they alert me to what previously I have been unaware of and that had been unwittingly polluting my relationships with my children and my wife and the community I'm Mm -hmm. in. So uh, there's usually a different format that I go through, but I want to ask you this question because this really hit me in reading what you wrote. So we have this power to be either dangerous or dangerously creative in a positive sense. All of us have this loneliness that you talked about. I'd love for you to speak to that because that feels like the first thing that we have to acknowledge. And my question is, explain what the loneliness is. And then is it okay? Is it okay? Or what do I do with this belief that, okay, there's the loneliness, so go for it? Like I said, when I wrote down that we're born with a secret, and the secret is that we hide ourselves. And because we hide ourselves, we're lonely. We're unknown. We're not known. Not known like we are. We're afraid to be known the way we are. And because we've already prejudged ourselves, which is a form of shame, we've condemned ourselves before God, before the one who's established us. And yet he doesn't see that. He sees us in our glory. And yet we can't receive it because, in my experience, the humility is to accept that this glory I had nothing to do with. And all I can do with it is either let it shine or, like the old saying, put the light under a bushel, you know, (laughs) hide it. This loneliness, I think, the only reason we are lonely is because we've neglected or refused to bring the whole part, all of us out in a way that others can be with us, with the self that we are. It's a crazy thing because it's almost impossible to share, but it is impossible to share. That's the paradox of it. (laughs) But when I completely get committed, if you will, the word lost is a misnomer. But when I'm committed completely to you, completely to whomever I'm with, then I disappear and the self can be shared. Mm. Because I'm not there. I'm so involved with, it's like a flow state. You know, a flow state is when you're so involved that your brain shuts down parts of the neocortex where it shuts down that. That's where time is. Your sense of time is. It shuts it 
down and it shuts down the limit in the limbic system, certain parts of the limbic system. So your sense of individuality disappears. So you're not there and neither is time. And we've all experienced this. We've all been so involved in something that time flies. Three, four hours go by. I haven't in the bathroom. I haven't eaten. I thought I was there for 20 minutes. I was there for three or four hours. That's the flow state. And it's interesting because then the brain can work 500 times faster than it does if we're conscious of ourselves. And the self that we're conscious of is the self that we create and judge. The uh. self others are aware of is the self that's there being either blessed or cursed by. So that self can be miraculously shared, but it's ironically, or I guess paradoxically, it gets shared because I'm so focused on you, I've disappeared. I've noticed that I don't show up until something doesn't go the way I want it to, and then all of a sudden I'm there. <laughs> the self that you judge comes back. Comes back, and I'm judging it, or I'm either blaming, shaming, or giving myself credit. Blame, shame, or credit. Yep. And when I'm in those conversations with yourself, then, right? Yeah, with myself, then I can't share myself because I'm too busy with myself, whatever that imagining is. And I'm not sharing, I'm not completely focused on you. And you don't get the benefit of all of me, the presence of me. Yes. So would you say then you have one state of either? blaming yourself, shaming yourself, or giving yourself credit, patting her on the back, or you're in a state of I'm present with somebody and I'm either blessing them or cursing them. That's something you said, blessed or cursed. So like in every interaction I have with my wife and my kids, is that moment, are some moments just moments or is that moment, and I use or I have used the words like, as a father, right? A father is a creator. I get to create. So am I creating moments of blessing or am I moments of cursing life or death? So is that, I mean, pretty much all my interactions are doing one of those two things? I believe that is so. I don't think there's any neutral spot. And in Deuteronomy, it says, Deuteronomy 30, 19, I think it is, it says, I place heaven and earth before you this day, blessing and curse, life and death. Choose life so that you and your seed will multiply. Like we have <laughs> Oh my gosh, dude, that's so good. That's yeah. <laughs> so that you, you will multiply like... Not just more people, but the ability to be, to be present, to expand in who you are. Oh, that's so good. That brings so much life to that verse. Sorry, go on. No, because there's only life or death. It's not right or wrong. It's life or death. God's standard is life or death. Right and wrong is man's standard because man's too busy justifying himself. You know, when I'm justifying myself, I'm the one condemning myself, but I think others are. I'm projecting it into the world. And even if they are condemning me, it doesn't matter. What matters is if I condemn me, if I take on the condemnation, and I take on the condemnation because I have an expectation that I ought not fail or that I ought not need the one who established me. So why do we look so, and I'll just speak for myself, why do we look for the approval from others? Is it because we actually want the approval of them or is it that I'm just looking to justify the judgments I've made of myself. I think it's really complex. I think, one, biologically, we're herd animals. We were created to be in family, you know, to take care of each other. Our great strength is how we take care of each other. Our, people say it's our brain. Yes, of course, it's our brain. But our brain knows better. We're better together than we are 
apart. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, go with somebody else. So that's an old African saying, I think. But I mean, I think that's part of it. I think the other part is what we long for the approval of the one who established us. You know, that's like our mm. father. Every man wants to hear his father say, well done, son. Good for you. You know, I'm proud of you. I think that's something we long for. And then on top of it, I think we settle for a lot of counterfeits. And counterfeits meaning I need someone else to tell me something outside of me to validate me because I'm too good to die. Too good to die to myself? Yeah, too good to die. Just if I can die, then the one who established me can resurrect me. But if I'm busy taking care of myself, defending and proving and doing all that, then like if I, I can go out and provide, but if I'm providing to prove that I'm a good father, that's a very different provision than if I'm providing because I love you, because you mean something to me. I'm going to be, I'm going to allow you to dominate me in the sense that if you hurt, I hurt. But if I'm so concerned about how I look as a father, I only get pissed off at you, angry at you, if you don't live up to what I need you to live up to so I can feel good about me. Yeah. Yes. This is, I'm pointing the finger at me. I'm not pointing at anybody else. I'm, no, no, of course. Confession, obviously. So when you're the father that is 40 years old and going to a retreat, wrestling with identity, and your daughter at 14 comes to you wrestling with identity. How do you, when coming back to the, we all long for the approval of our fathers, how as fathers, right now there's dads listening, how as these dads who are probably listening to this because they're wrestling with their own existence, how do we give that to our children when we're wrestling with it ourselves? Yeah, well, it's a great question. Actually, there's a problem with the question, if you don't mind. Yes, please. Uh, the problem is that it's a how question, and the answer is a who, not a how. Mm. <laughs> right? uh, if you have, we get the answers, our questions beg or prompt or pull from life. So I'll tell you a story about this because it has to do with my daughter. But I have two kids, and now my daughter's 37 and my son is 40. They have kids of their own. And my daughter has two daughters, my son has a son, a daughter, and a baby boy who died in January. And then we've got a child coming any yeah. day now. His wife <laughs> yes. So we're waiting. I mean, it could happen. It was due date was yesterday. So we're, we're excited about that. But anyway, so the how question makes us think about how can I do this to make it turn out? But really, it's who am I going to be for you? Normally, I ask, and I'm not saying this is universal, I just noticed for me, normally I'm asking a how question because I think that fatherhood is a matter of performance rather than a matter of being with oh my gosh. the world and my son, daughter, and family. And how I am with them is more instructive than what I do with them. Gosh. My daughter's 37 when she was 13 and a half. We lived in Michigan, and we had moved a number of times because I was an itinerant minister, and I had a ministry, and then I had a business that was related to the ministry. It was you know we used the same stuff we do in the training room for the ministry for reconciliation and spiritual transformation and development. I use in the corporate world for leadership development. Same frameworks, just I got them basically derived them from scripture and experience. But I would do that. And I was gone a lot. And I would take the kids with me. And we moved to Michigan. 
and we had been in Hawaii. And before that, we were in Santa Rosa. We planted a church in Hawaii with some people. And then we moved to Michigan to work there. My daughter was getting involved in a lot of street activity. And I had an agreement with my wife that if she ever needed me to remain at home, I would come off the road to support the family. Surprisingly, in the first 10 years of our ministry, that never happened. Then one day she said, you got to come home. Danny's taking over the house. I don't know what to do with him. Elizabeth is getting hard to handle. So I came home and I got a job as a salesperson working with a pharmaceutical company, basically selling pharmaceuticals to doctors and so on, that kind of thing. I'd come home every night. My son and my daughter are good friends, and she's good friends with his friends. It was my son's best friend's father's 50th birthday, and we got to know them well and invited him over, and we celebrated his 50th birthday. And after dinner, we were having dessert, and my son went off with his girlfriend to do some homework and hang out with her at the coffee shop. And my daughter stayed home with my son's friend. They were going to go hang out upstairs. And my wife gets this premonition that this boy, Derek, is forcing himself on my daughter. And so she goes upstairs and catches him on top of my daughter. Now, you could imagine how awkward that is. 50th birthday, she's coming down the stairs. She's got a boy six foot tall and my wife's five foot two and she's yanking him down the stairs by the ear and she's livid. And I awkwardly, I usher people out, call my wife down, go up, talk to my daughter. And I say, well, what's up? Are you all right? What's going on? You want to talk about this? And she basically flipped me off and didn't want to talk. I just said to her, well, you know, honey, until we talk about this, I'm going to have to be with you. No matter what, I'm going to pick you up at school and there'll be no socializing until I can understand what's going on and I can stand with you. I, I can't just bestow trust. That would be naive and irresponsible. So she basically told me to pound it. First day I pick her up and I go in to say, what do you got for homework? And she looks at me and she says, oh, so this is your effort of being a good father now? She's nailing me. She's right. I was in there for me, not her. That's what I mean by being. And so I acknowledge that. I said, okay true. But just because I'm being selfish isn't going to mean I'm going to stop because I, there's part of me that's selfish and there's a larger part of me that cares for you. So I'd rather be found out selfish to get to you than just to get pissed off at you and run out. So I'm not going anywhere, you know, and I'm going to learn to work with you. So we worked together and a little bit. She didn't like me. She didn't want to talk, didn't talk. This goes on cold as ice for a month and a half. And I'm so despairing after a month and a half that I called my friend in California who raised five kids and I loved his family. I asked him, what do I do? And he jokingly had done my training. So he said, I'm not your cult leader, which is a line I use in the training. In other words, I'm asking him how, and he's telling me, no, it's not a how, it's who you are. You're obviously concerned about her, so let her know who she is for you. How about showing up for that? Don't bite her head off. And I didn't, I hadn't, but he made a lot of sense because I was getting ready to. Yeah, 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 it was building up. Yeah. And so another month and a half goes by. And finally, I'm so desperate. This is three months. I'm driving her to a dance class in Ann Arbor, and we live about 15 miles away. About halfway there, it's snowing in this big expedition. She's four foot five, four foot seven, tiny little thing, probably 90 pounds and barely fit in a seatbelt. She'd fly right out of there. And I pull over because she's cold as ice looking out the window. She's not talking to me. So I just pull over and I start weeping. I told her, I said, look, honey, I, I know I'm not a good dad. I see your face. I see what's going on. I, I know it's not working. I, I'm failing you. But I, I want to tell you something. No matter what happens, I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to follow you. I'll leave my job. I'm going to pursue you. You cannot shake me. I love you more than myself. And I will never give up. And I just started weeping. And she jumps out of the seatbelt into my arms, 
buries her head in my chest and says, Pop, I love the way you love me. And now oh. I'm thoroughly confused. <laughs> I just told her how horrible I'm doing. And she told me, look, Dad, I started. I didn't know how to stop it. It was going too far. And I don't want you to be mad at Derek. I was as much a part of it as him. And and it's not Danny and Derek. It's me. I, I just didn't know how to stop. And I don't want you to send me away. I go, what do you mean send you away? And she said, I heard you tell Danny if he didn't stop doing something, you'd send him away. I go, yeah, I'd send him away in a minute. I'm not sending you away. You're, you're staying right here. <laughs> we laughed. And we stayed. We didn't make dance class. But then I got home and she gave me all of her diaries because she keeps diaries. And she wanted me to read them so I could read the confessions. Whoa. And you really don't want to read your daughter's diaries. So I read through them. And oh. after that, so here's the thing. I've never, I don't have rules in my house. Like I have to approve the one you date. It was never that way for me. I figured, well, if you're going to, you know, you're going to choose, I'm going to stand with you. But remember, I'm going to stand for you to walk through it. Not just, we're not going to gesture here if you want my support. So she brought from that moment on, Anything that she was wrestling with, she came to me with. And then she would bring her boyfriends home. She had three boyfriends after that. And she married the third some years later, obviously. <laughs> uh, and that was nothing I planned. But she made sure to sit down and have those boys sit down with me and get to know me. And she enrolled them in the training we do. And now she's very deeply involved in our work together. But we live next door to each other. Wow. She made sure that her daughters were next to us and she wanted us in her life deeply. They invited us on their honeymoon and their wedding and my son-in-law's parents, we went on their honeymoon with them. They wanted us to. They said, no, this would mean a lot to us. So we spent two weeks in Hawaii and we'd meet whenever they wanted and they wanted to hang out with us. And to me, that's the greatest sign of success is that your kids, they want you in their lives deeply. My son's the same way. He wants us deeply involved in his life with his kids and to me, that's everything. But that's all a way of being. I realized that the shift was when I just broke down and shared with her my own struggle and the demons I was struggling with. And uh, Yes, that vulnerability. It opened up a ton for her and for me too. I mean, she got real vulnerable. She told me the truth about what she'd been going through and what she'd been doing. When you first said, it's not a how, it's a who, that's how you led into this. Immediately, my eyes filled with water. There's like this punch to my soul that this isn't about performance. And, you know, I'm in sales too, built my business, blah, blah, blah. So much of what we do to gain success by the world's standard of measuring is based on performance. Can I make more calls than you? Can I make more sales than you? Whatever. Or can I make more calls today than I did yesterday? Whatever. Even if I'm competing against myself, immediately my soul was just pierced with this. It's not a how it's a who, which is such a freedom. It's a freedom to be who Ned is today. I do want to grow and evolve, but can I be Ned today? Because the Ned today is who my kids need today based on your story, not the Ned in 10 years. They need to see the Ned today. And really, I mean, the beauty of it is that in 10 years, as I've grown, the work I do on myself, it's going to impact my kids as well, whether they're 13 in my home or 20 in my home. So yeah, yeah, tons yeah. of freedom, tons of freedom there. Yeah. And Ned can be new at any moment. You know, that's the beauty of God is that he makes us new. And, and the only way I can be new is to face the old, to face what I am, you know, like uh, what I'm pretending to be. And that's the doorway to new. So it's both happening at the same time. Yeah. 
Pascal is a great philosopher to read around this. He talked about man as both saint and devil. And we're constantly struggling with that. It's the old Indian saying, you know, you got two wolves fighting inside you. Which one will win? Well, the one you feed the most. So it's not like you're going to get rid of all the negative thoughts or evil thoughts or angry thoughts or whatever. It's whether or not you're going to embrace them. We call it hugging the cactus and let them awaken in you the aspect of your life you're afraid to be vulnerable to. Mm. I love it. All right, I'm going to backtrack to a couple questions, and there's a reason I want to transition into something. How old do you find yourself today? 35. 35. That's how old you find yourself mentally, physically, spiritually. Yeah. I think you're like a thousand mentally, like the sage in you. Okay. How many years have you been married? I've been with my wife for 48 years. We've been married. This is the 44th. (sighs) Okay. Now, my wife and I just went on a four or five day marriage transformation last week. It was incredible. When you've been married together almost 50 years, talk to me about if you were sharing with a guy who's coming up to his 20th year. So I'm coming up to my 20th, investing heavily into my marriage. I think many men listening to this do find themselves at your age of 35 to probably 45. And so they're in that realm of like, 10 to 20 years of marriage, what is the thing that you would share with them? Because I truly believe one of the greatest gifts I can give my kids is the depth of the relationship I have with my spouse. My friends, sorry for this quick interruption. However, somewhat sadly, I get more questions from dudes about fitness than I do about fatherhood. But what I found is that the fathers who start taking care of their fitness and nutrition end up finding fatherhood, marriage, work, and all other aspects of life come into a deeper clarity of purpose, enjoyment, and fulfillment. Now, I've partnered with Rise Up Kings to launch Ruck Fitness, a transformative program that is less focused on a six-pack in 90 days and more focused on you creating the habits, mindset, and lifestyle that will allow you to be a healthy asset to your family for decades. Come join me in a transformative journey to become the man you want to see in the mirror. Go check it out www.rebellandcreate.com forward slash fitness. Now back to the show. What would you share with me about marriage? A story or whatever comes to your mind is something you'd want to share about marriage? Yeah, to me, marriage is a crucible, which means it's a perpetual refinement of one's character. And to be married is to grow up. The marriage calls out of me, my wife, the circumstances we face together, calls aspects into being that would have never been without her and without the circumstances, the children, the tragedies, the victories. They are beckoning an aspect of my life that I don't know yet. To be open to that, it transformed my marriage from a rut into a great adventure. That's how. That's what I tell my uh, wife. Yes. This is a great adventure we're on. And if it gets old, no good. And we have a principle that we call the Isaac Principle. The Isaac principle is whatever you cherish, God's going to call it to the altar. If you really want it, then you've got to give it up. You've got to be ready to lose it, to have it. So in our marriage, we have discussions, particularly and rigorously around the things we most fear could disrupt or destroy the marriage. So facing that together has always rekindled the passion between us. And we have multiple devices, strategies things we've learned, and awareness 
of our own mechanics that can help us see and receive the bids for peace between us, if that makes sense. Because we do something stupid, hurts the other, or insensitive, mostly me, insensitive, arrogant, some stupid thing I do or say, and I see I've hurt her. They strike out at me for it, or she may offer a bid for peace. If she strikes out, I can offer a bid for peace. And then if she uses that bid to strike out again, I can still offer a bid for peace. And when we were younger, she or I might have to make multiple bids for peace or we get hooked up and fight for days. Whereas now we can work through something really quickly. Like we can be in an argument in the car and be hugging by the time we get out of it. And mainly because we stop and think about our part of it. We have a rule. If we get in an argument, we start saying hurtful things, we'll break for 20 minutes because that's how long it takes the male amygdala to calm down. And then we'll get back together. And the rule to get back together is whoever each of us opens the conversation, whether I open it, she opens it, but each of us is responsible for first stating our contribution for how the thing got messy, owning it, and re-declaring who we're going to be and what we're committed to with each other from there on. To go back to the beginning, you said it's a crucible to be married is to grow up, which I want to touch on. But if I say, hey, Dan, my contribution was that I was triggered. And so I said, whatever, and I want to be committed to this relationship. But that's an immature way to then bring up their thing. So when you do that, so wait 20 minutes, I say what my contribution was. Do we wait for them to say their contribution? Because sometimes I feel like I'd be sitting there waiting for what I want them to say. And that's yeah. obviously immature. I mean, that's that's a great question. I think you got to be authentic about where you are. And if you don't feel like you were responsible, you got to be honest about that. I didn't have a contribution. And, and what I meant by grow up is knowing the other person's very similar to me. I mean, they're human. My job, the only one I can control is me. So I'll give you an example. There was a point in my relationship with my wife. We were together 37 years. She thought maybe this relationship is codependent. She thought, Maybe she should consider. And she was thinking, maybe I don't want to be with Dan. Maybe I'm just with Dan, shame or guilt, because he's the first guy I had sex with. Now, she went out and dated other men later on. We split up a couple of times and got back together. But she was wondering how much of her relationship to me was out of shame or guilt. Long story short, I mean, it was quite a story on how we got to that revelation. I resisted it for two weeks. And I could see it was alienating her. So then I realized I was just throwing a tantrum because I was mad she wasn't the way I wanted her to be. And now ah. I was making her pay. So I decided, do what's more important, making her pay or having her present with me and having her feel the respect. If I want respect from her, how can I respect her? So I just told her I'm off it. I'm releasing you from all promises. I just need to know, are you going to be faithful or... Even if you're going to go date another guy, let me know. So at least I I want the truth. And she said, no, I don't want to date anybody. I need some time to work through this. What's going on for me? I said, I'm there for you, whatever you need. But I'm going to go live with my son because it's hard for me to live in the same house with you. It won't work for me. And she appreciated that. So I went and lived with my son and we talked periodically. Eventually, she called me after about a couple of months and asked me why I thought and did I think the marriage was rooted in love? Had I thought about that? And I had. And I said, you know, a tree by its fruits, honey. And I named the fruits. And I said, does that mean we haven't been, that we haven't been codependent? We certainly have. Hell, when we met, I was an addict and you were a codependent. 
was a gangster and lying to you and living a double life. So it makes sense. You might be suspicious of me or all these things. I can live with that. But I want you to know I'm going to love you no matter what. And that's my declaration. So if you need to go off, live by yourself, date another person, I'll make room at my table. I'm with you. And and she Man. came back after a year, after about a couple of months. And after we answered that, and she said, it was about a week later. And she, I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm clear. And she had gone, done some work therapy around trauma. She had been abused as a child and was having memories. And that was part of what was confusing her. But she came back and she said to me, if you wouldn't have been so loving, if you would have made this about me, if you would have attacked me, if you would have done, tried to work me over because I was your wife and, you know, didn't I know that my job is to be faithful to you? And if you'd have done all that, I'd have made, it wouldn't have worked. I would have made you wrong. And I probably would have never gotten to the revelation of this abuse, at least not right away. But your space, your willingness to contain where I was without making me pay opened up a really safe place for God to work with me. And she goes, I love you. And and then we had a series of some of the best conversations we have ever had. Wow. And we've been tight as the last 15 years. It's been 14 years. That was about 14 years ago, something like that. And wow. um, it's been deep. And we've, we had multiple breakthroughs along the way like that, but that was a major one. And I think that's a big deal. If you love the other person, I told her, I'm going to love you, whether you're with another guy or not, whether you leave me or not. And it's interesting because my kids contacted her. My kids were in touch with her. They were deeply involved at this time. They always are. And my daughter said to her dad, huh, mom, you know, I love you. But if you divorce dad, it'll never be the same for me. I'm going to love you still. But don't kid yourself. There's a lot at stake here. And they were great. They talked straight with her. And I just loved on her. I said, anything you need to talk about, let's do it. I don't know. I guess part of me, if you can't stand alone, you can't ever really be with anybody. And to stand alone means you got to be with God. I mean, for me, I was tortured by her leaving. I did find solace with God. I took refuge with him. And it was worth it. And it, it enabled me to stay with her through her process. I love the acknowledgement. And when I hear, I'm like, wow, this guy is like, nobody could do this. This is incredible. But when you use the word tortured, it's like in the midst of that torture. Again, it was who do you need to be? Who do you need to be for her? That's yeah. it comes back to the who, because there wasn't a how, right? Our default Forward. is to protect ourselves, to defend ourselves. <laughs> I couldn't change that thing if I wanted to. I can't change your mind. It was like my mother. My mother, I think I, God trained me with my mother because I couldn't oh, change my mother. There's literally nothing you could do with her because I, of her state. Just love her. Just love her. And, you know, she lived a great life. Gosh. She died at 82. She never got married again after my dad. She divorced my dad. I asked her, why didn't you get married again? She had a great sense of humor. She said, oh, nobody can live with us. us. Uh, yeah, so, that's funny. So. Man, Dan, the just love them. I mean, we are so selfish. We're so selfish where we make everything about us. And if we can just be like, hey, okay, I acknowledge that I'm selfish, but this is who I need to be for you. If you think about it, it's such a relief. When I think about me, I get so angry, so anxious. I get so anxious. But if I'm thinking about you, I'm not thinking about me. It's a lot easier, right? And when I do think about me, it's more about how did I, if I'm not making the impact I'm committed to, then I miss something. We always miss. We miss a lot. We miss a lot more than we hit. But if I can be okay and connect with what's missing, I'm going to be quicker to connecting. 
So answer me these two questions before we start to come to a wrap up on this. If I'm not thinking of myself, one, how do we not fall into being passive? Okay, so that would be item number one, because I don't want guys to hear this and become passive. And then I also want to work on myself as a human, my mental, spiritual, physical. So it doesn't mean that I'm not taking care, right? Taking care of me. So talk to me about those two aspects. All right. So the first one was, how do I not become passive or basically apathetic and resigned? Yes. You mean? Okay. So what I haven't communicated is I was clear with my wife that I could do this for a period of time. But after a period of time, I'm going to make my own decision, mourn the loss and move on with my life. Love her from a distance. She's always going to be at my table, but I'm going to need to spend a year at least kind of getting over it and getting clear about it, reconciling myself. So it's not like I wasn't clear about what I wanted. I just wasn't demanding it from her. I was clear that whatever I have in my life, I either tolerated or caused. And so going forward, the same thing is true about the future I'll have. I'll either tolerate or cause it. What future am I aiming at? And how can I prepare for that future now? So my openness to her, my open-handedness to her, wasn't about getting her back or not. It was about whatever occurred, I wanted to have the best relationship I could have with her. And I still, but that didn't mean I gave up what I wanted. I just didn't blame her for what it was I wasn't getting. Got you. Yep, yep, yep. That's a big deal because I'm a man. I know I have a lot of men that are friends of mine, and we have a habit of going to extremes to justify our own bitterness. And the point is there's nuances, man, nuances. Life is a nuance. And if I can't look into the complexity of life and find the nuances that are going to produce the future I'm committed to, then I'm usually just a spoiled brat expecting the world to give me what I think I deserve or I'm entitled to. And I've never experienced, you know, God is a good God. And if I really want to have heaven now, then I need to embrace what I have and connect with it because the future is connected to what I have, whether I like what I have or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Possibilities always grounded in necessity. So necessity is the moment. So how do I keep from being apathetic? Because I remember that the future I'm really committed to is going to come out of what I have. And then if I could get off of condemning what I have and shaming myself, I'll probably find the resource that heaven is providing in that moment. So that would really answer the question as well as of working on yourself. Yeah. And that's the first question of passivity. Or, you know, apathy. What was the second question? So, yeah, that's kind of answers it to some level. But the second question was about how do I work on myself? I don't want to just show up. If I just show up and I'm just focused on everybody else's needs all the time. Yeah. What about me? Yeah. Yeah, So a couple things. That's what I do for a living. (laughs) So you can come to one of our trainings or I'm just about ready to release an artificial intelligent coach, biblically grounded. What I'm doing for business, I'm going to do one biblically. But why I'm going to do that is because the AI can help me think. I program into it these frameworks I'm talking to you, and then it asks questions and causes me to think. Otherwise, you can do it really simply. Anytime you're in a breakdown, you need to clarify what the breakdown is. So most often, we think the symptoms are the breakdown. They're not. So like my wife's indifference or when she started thinking about leaving, the problem wasn't her thinking about leaving. 
The real problem was what was going on for her that she thought she should leave. And she was wrestling with abuse. Was I using her? Was she using me? There was a whole thought process going on, a whole iniquity, something working internally that needed to get to the light. And it only is going to come out in the light in the grace of God. So the grace of God is wide open. So I just wanted to be wide open so it could surface. If I'm willing to do that with myself, if I can accept myself, if I can embrace my own dark side, which means I got to be willing to explore it and then let it pierce me, that will alter, that'll start to change who I am. When I looked at what kind of life I was living as a criminal, living a double life, doing drugs and dealing drugs and guns, etc., behind my wife's back and lying to her, when I let that really pierce me and how it affected not just her, but how it affected my birth family, you know, my biological family and those and my friends, etc. When I let that really affect me and not justify it or condemn myself for it, but just let it impact me, I found myself coming alive and wanting to do something about it. And do something about it like I wanted to take the street sense I had and put it to work to support people, that kind of thing. I wanted to make a difference. And I found out that the very things that I was condemning myself for were an instrumental aspect of me making a difference. It's like God transformed, he took Moses out of Egypt and made him a great leader. But don't kid yourself, what he learned in Egypt was put to use leading the Israelites. Right, right. yep, yep. It's not necessarily that you're running away from who you are, no. but the way that you are being who you are, maybe. It's like Jordan Peterson says, you know, you got to be dangerous, under control. That's what love is. Danger uh, under control. That's what peace is. I can hurt somebody, but I don't. That's a law of physics. Because every force that can bring life has equal and opposite power to bring death. That's what freedom is. That's the danger of freedom. Freedom is dangerous. Oh, man. So much, so much to think about. So first off, we don't have to get deep into it. But when you and I first met, you took me through your AI platform. And I asked it questions about whether I should let my 17 year old daughter date, because she's about to go to college, like should she have a boyfriend? I was blown away. I was blown away at the ability the AI had to take me through the process. And the cool thing was, is Compared to if having this conversation with another human, there wasn't the other human's beliefs around dating or beliefs around college or all the other things that come into that could lead me one way or the other. And what it did was it really turned it all on to what you're just talking about. What's the thing inside of me that's having an issue with this? It's not the dating that's the problem. It's what is inside of me. And so I'm so shocked at the ability it had to take me through that process. And I'm happy to send it to you or any of the listeners. We're in beta, so it's free right now. And if somebody contacts me, I'm happy to send it to them. They can play with it. But the thing I want you people to realize is in the AI, I built in two things. I built in it's first thing it's going to do, it's going to ask you what your issue, challenge, problem is. It's a problem solving, but it's also designed to vet your thinking. And there's some great research done by Harvard and some other business schools. But in business, and I believe this is true in life, 90% of breakdowns are cognitive. It's the way I'm thinking about it. So one of the things it does is it'll clarify whatever you say the issue is. And then it's going to ask you, do you want to go deeper into the inquiry or do you want to go right to a plan of action? Most people want to go right to the plan of action. I say, stop, don't do that. 
test your thinking because if you don't shift your thinking, you're probably going to end up just doing like same shit, different day. You know, you're just going to rearrange rearrange the furniture in the Titanic. So that's one of the things I built into it. I'm working on honing that now so the user can get the value of taking the time to test their thinking before they go in to the plan of action. And I think that's true in life. In life, we spend so much, we're so quick to go to fix it rather than really connect with what is the true problem. Right. Yeah, because we want to move on with our day versus allowing that moment or experience to actually deepen who we are. That's right. Well, that's good. Right on. Deepen our character. Right on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just want to stop the fight with my wife. But like you said, same shit, different day. That fight's going to happen in a week from now because I didn't take this fight, this moment to dig into really what's going on here. Like, hey, this isn't about and then we keep bringing, my wife and I keep bringing up the turkey. We got in a fight about the turkey. It was just childish and hilarious. But it wasn't about the turkey. It was about me not wanting to feel stupid or whatever. Right on, man. Right on. But that's it. You just nailed it in a nutshell. That's it right there. That's the who. The who. Willing, yes, the who. You're, you're willing to look. You're willing to be the guy who goes, okay, I'll look. I'll just take a look. I'm working on that. Yeah, I'm in that process of wanting to take a look. But I do want to go back because I think you'll dig this. At the end of the marriage transformation week we were at, we had to each get up. You know, there's 12 couples. Each person gets up and says, what was, you know, what are you leaving with? Whatever. And when you said this, to be married is to grow up. And I definitely know that I'm not grown up yet. But I said that as I'm leaving this event, I feel like I've changed from a boy to a man. Like this event has helped me and also helped me see my wife as not the girl I married when we were 21, but as a woman. And I just felt such an incredible freedom, I should say. I didn't want to use the word level up, but freedom in that. Dan, I want to ask you one last question because you are a grandfather and a father to adult children. So I'd love if you ended with a story about how you were able to show up for your son in the passing of a grandchild. And I think that there's a beauty in understanding that us fathers, this doesn't end when your kid leaves for college, it goes well beyond it. And so I think that this story might help us understand that it's not about just how we show up while our kids are in middle and high school. It's going to go beyond that. Well, first off, my son and I are really close. We've always Mm. been close. I love that. When he's a young boy in Cub Scouts, we won the Pinewood Derby contest every year, three years straight. Nice. And we really got into design, and I've just really been close to him all his life. He's a very gifted young man. He's got a photographic memory and four degrees from Berkeley, all in science. He's, wow. He's one of the top minds in artificial intelligence, and I consider that a godsend because he's a good guy. He's looking on how to battle the bad guys the evil in the world. He has uh, two older children. And then he had Eon, who was two and a half from his second marriage. And he's very close to his first wife and their family. They're all very good friends. We've worked through that. That's a whole other story. And he invited me in to help him reconcile all of that. And it was a brutal process, but it was good. But the big thing is, when Eon died, I was the first person he called. And it was a freak accident. Had a big storm and Four redwoods broke off, I'm talking 60-foot sections, and fell on his house. And one of them killed his son, almost killed him. He was two feet away from dying, blew him out of the house. And then he had to pull the, couldn't get the log off the boy, and tried the truck, couldn't do it. Went and got the neighbor. They sawed two sides of the rolled it off, and then 
he picked his son up and his body was in complete perfect shape because he was on a couch and it, and it killed him instantly, but his body was, there was no blood. He carried his son to the paramedic. Then he called me and we wept together. It was interesting. But one of the things he asked me was, what do I do? We were talking about, what do we do? And I said, we just, we look into the tragedy until something bigger comes out of us. That's the God we have. Our God will turn this, but we have to face the desert, son. And he knew it. He knew it. He's already there. He was so ready. Five days later, he shared what God was doing with him and his wife in church. Five days afterwards, I couldn't believe it. And it was beautiful, and it was humble, and it was loving. But again, his mind was on his wife and others, and he knew the community was shook. He shared with them his loss, and he does that well. We spent two months together. My wife, myself, my daughter, her husband, their two kids, my son, Isha, his current wife, Roya, his first wife, her fiance, Andrew, and the kids. We all stayed together for two months and just talked about what came up and allowed ourselves to weep when we wept and laugh and tell stories and look into the tragedy. So now when we're together, if we're moved to cry or moved to tell a story, we do. Uh, nobody got maudlin about it. Nobody made it about them. Everybody just was there for each other. And we wept and laughed and cried and celebrated Eon's life. And I think that was part of what helped them recover themselves in a way that they wanted to have another kid so quickly. We were blown away. So wow, there's no conversation too difficult. I think that's the number one thing. How powerful if fathers operated in that sense Because how many kids are like, I can't tell my dad this because how he'll react, it'll hurt him too bad. Or There have been a number of times as a father and a grandfather where I realized this is a seminal moment. Who I am in this Mm. moment is going to be the legacy of our family. When my wife's mother was dying of cancer and living with us, I knew that how I was going to be with her and the kids was going to determine the future. And it was important that I made myself there available, especially in the moments I didn't want to be there because I, I just wanted to run. Dan, I have greatly appreciated this time together. I hope for many more conversations with you. Thank you. I'm going to go back and listen to this conversation. I've got notes all over my desk right now. And this last question I'll leave with you. It's about legacy. Imagine on your deathbed, you are looking into the faces of this family that you've dedicated so much of your life to and lived for. What is it that you want to see in their faces? What is it that you know you can freely let go because you gave it your all in this life? What is it that you hope to see? I'm seeing it. And that's my children and their children know what it means to stand. Because the only thing, the only thing that orders chaos and releases beauty is a stand. And a stand calls for a human presence. And if I'm not willing to bring myself into the reality that I'm in, then there's no difference I can make. And I see my children, they're willing to stand. They do not, they will not edit themselves. They say what they think, and then they stand responsible for the impact it has when it comes back to them. And that, for me, I want to see my grandchildren do the same. Hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. Dan. Beautiful conversation. Oh my goodness. Incredible. Dan, where can people learn more about your events? I know you have a podcast. Give it to us all because there's just so much gold. I I know we'd want to stay connected to you. 
Well, my Instagram and my uh, LinkedIn, I think will be in your... Uh, yep, the, the show notes, definitely. And then and for the AI, I would love for people to go download that too. So send me a link for that AI coaching. So on the AI, it's a little different. There's no app. There's no username or password. There's a number. Just copy the number, put it in a contact I, called okay. Maven, M-E-Y-V-N, and then just text it. Now you okay. can, te- if you have an iPhone, you can use audio text and it'll auto text back. If you're using any other phone, you got to use text. We'll have voice on that later. And then uh, we have the Naked Leadership Podcast, both on Spotify and Apple. We just finished our 250th episode. Yes, love it. And uh, so check it out. It's in the top 2% of business downloads on Apple. So we're really proud of it. Awesome. And then your events, please tell us a little bit about those. So one is TNG, which is takenewground.com. That's our corporate site. And if you want to do the Revenant, it's called wearerevenant.com. Wearerevenant.com. And you can see all the trainings. We have three come in there already for this next coming year. One in February, I think one in March, one in June or July. And then we'll probably put another one in Italy. And so those will be available. And that, those are on that site. Love it. All right, people, to be more connected to this type of work, go check out all the links in the show notes. I uh, would love for you to get connected to Dan and the work he's doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the man you are, the man you are becoming, and your willingness to share it with each one of us. I look forward to connecting with you again. Ned, this was nothing but a privilege, man. Bless you. Hey, was I right or was I right? What an incredible conversation. I just almost hung on every word that Dan said. I mean, to hear a man who has had the experience of having kids in a marriage twice as long as me, to be able to gain wisdom and knowledge from him, there are so many nuggets, so many things that I'm taking away and really, oh, the biggest thing, the sense of freedom that pierced to my soul was, it's not how you do it. In most of these situations that, that were bring up, I could lean into performance, but it's who do I need to be? Who do I need to be for my wife? Who do I need to be for my kids? And having the power and strength as a man in this moment, am I bringing blessing or cursing in this circumstance, in this situation, in this connection? Beautiful. Men, we must know who we are. The world would look and feel different if men showed up in their identity to love, serve, guide, provide, protect. Now, this is why I launched The Adventure of Fatherhood. Check it out, adventurefatherhood.com. I have three online courses. If you want to take your fatherhood to a deeper level, if you're a new dad and you want to understand what your role is, I've got the introduction of fatherhood. If you got a five-year-old, 10-year-old, 15-year-old, and you just feel like you're struggling or want to better understand who you are, take the Discover Fatherhood. These are 30 days. You can just handle it all on your own. Would love for you to go through that. And once you go through that, then I've got my 90-day intentional group where I roll with several dudes for about 90 days and help you unpack what the role of the father is. If you're enjoying the podcast, please write a review. Please just take 30 seconds. It helps spread the word that fatherhood matters. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned. Shout together. Let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time.